0: We uh, came out here to Las Vegas with part of our enterprises that we started. So the company that I'm the COO of and my daytime job we call the Standard by Black Market. And we classify ourselves now a full products company uh, with just HHC. And then we recently have expanded and are launching next month our line of Amanidia mushroom products and getting into the. Into that space so and then we have some other things coming out later in the year with like some wellness products and stuff that are non-psychoactive non-psychedelic and so moving completely into that alternative product space and then out here in las vegas we actually were awarded one of the cannabis consumption lounge licenses for the independent operators and so uh, nevada had given out 40 licenses via lottery 20 were to independent owners and then 20 were to dispensary owners and it's for one, first of its kind uh, in america it's cannabis consumption lounges basically think of like amsterdam or spain where you get to go to a club purchase products smoke them and use them on site and then you know or like like a bar but without the alcohol so yeah. las vegas is going to be the first in the nation now having that having that happening and so i, I came out here to las vegas to help start up and build out the, the operations out here it's exciting mm-hmm. that's
1: really exciting stuff it's,
0: it's exciting to see how you know cannabis is evolving and changing and how we're being able to remove the stigmatism and you're starting to see it in more day-to-day products and more and more people use it people that you would never expect you know you got everybody from grandparents and older people and then you have your business professionals and athletes and lawmakers and all the above everywhere in the middle so it's i love it it's an amazing medicine I'd like to talk to you guys about what you guys are doing. Mira Pharmaceuticals, thank you guys for for being here to represent your company, Adam and Erez. I appreciate you guys and want to talk a little bit about, I'm just going to dive right in with a question. I was reading online and I read about the new FDA approved synthetic analog of THC that you guys have. You want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, just, just to correct. So we're not FDA approved.
0: Oh, you're not FDA approved. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. I thought I thought uh, this would have said on your website. My apologies.
1: Pre, uh, we're an early stage uh, life science company uh, doing preclinical work in okay. animal models. Uh, we've developed a novel a synthetic T C analog mm-hmm. for the that's being designed uh, for the treatment of anxiety and cognitive impairment.
0: Awesome, awesome. And that's the Mira One A that you're speaking of.
1: Yes, Mira1A is the name of the drug candidate. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you guys,
0: where did that start, that project start and and why?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll let Dr. Kaplan uh, touch on that because he was in the, uh, you know, uh, the one that's doing the research on it. So I'll let, I'll let him touch that
2: question. We had the opportunity to be working with the founder of the company who is a businessman by training but he also happens to be phenomenal at both getting the right people around him in terms of you know the various expertise he needs and also has the financial wherewithal to you know take some of the ideas he has and actually synthesize them and test them so i think that there were something on the order of 65 different patented structures and this is the one that I got very excited about, uh, as was Arez and a number of people, because it takes THC, changes it in a relatively subtle way, but that subtly has a big effect on its, on its activity. The idea being of trying to add positive effects that weren't there before and to try to minimize some of the negative effects. So the way I think of it is, being a psychiatrist, is that Originally, people had been working with antihistamines. They changed the structure around a little bit, like we've done here with TLC. And when they changed the structure around, they got first antipsychotics and then antidepressants. That's where those drugs came from. So it's kind of like we're we're taking what Mother Nature uh, invented here and trying to riff on it, if you will, um, and come up with a drug that will have some key differences. That think are important and has opened up doorways that were not even uh, available to us prior to starting to take a look at the molecule. Now, what are some of those differences? You said you added
0: positive effects and removed the negative effects.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we, the goal, Uh, obviously, you know, my advisor and uh, mentor when I was uh, in training used to say all drugs are toxins, they just have positive side effects. So I would never say, that a drug has no potential side effects. And, and of course, people can increase the dose and have side effects. But what one of the main things that was exciting to us is we went to look at MIRA 1A in terms of the cognitive impairment because you know when people get high, many people find that it affects their cognition. Particularly people who are vulnerable. So I treat a lot of patients with MS and they're already vulnerable to have cognitive impairment, and and the marijuana really does affect their cognition. So what we found uh, in looking to see if we minimize the cognitive impairment, we found that actually in normal mice, it significantly improves their cognitive performance. So rather than go in the negative direction, it actually makes them kind of do better on tests, if you will. Wow. I'm sorry about the, when
0: I, when I mentioned the FDA approval, I must've misread on your website. So with this being a a cannabinoid pharmaceutical or synthetic cannabinoid pharmaceutical, what's the, is this going into practice? Like, is this something that you're going to see, uh, that people can take for medication here soon, or is this something that's still in trials?
2: I'll let Irez sort of give the general direction of the company where, where, where we are now and where, uh. Yeah. So uh, what, what, you know, while Dr. Kaplan is doing his research in, in
1: preclinical models, we're moving this towards our toxicology work right now uh, so we can start our application for a new drug application for an IMD. Right. Uh, our goal is to have this done early 2024 and with hopes to be able to get a study for a phase one, phase two combined potentially if approved. And what we're looking to study is indications of anxiety and cognitive impairment in elderly early-stage dementia patients. Mm. Uh, And we hope to be able to get into those phase one, phase two by by the end of 2024. And the goal is to have a prescription synthetic THC drug uh, that can be available to patients uh, by prescription that will be covered by insurance and uh, specifically, like Dr. Kaplan said, for the uh, adult population, like the MS patients that he's treating, that you know, cannabis or traditional plant-based THC might not be the best course of action for them. They'll have another form of potential treatment to be able to deal with their anxiety while you know not impairing their cognition. Uh, so it's 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 really incredible how big the cannabis business is getting. Right where. I think in 2022 the number was Americans spent about 30 billion dollars on legal weed, uh, which was 10 billion dollars more than chocolate sales last year, <laughs> right? Which is which is tremendous. And I think we also passed beer sales. But what's interesting is uh, people over 65 are now the fastest growing group of cannabis users in the United States. I mean, you can kind of call it like a senior moment, but it's it's really a senior moment. They're they're the ones that are outpacing. Uh, the rest of the patient population who are using THC and, and, and cannabis. So for us, you know, I'm very passionate about this because I, I like what THC does. I like what you know nature intended for THC to do. And and I'm all for people using THC in a positive way uh, to help them with their health, to help them with their pain management. Uh, you know, whatever they they feel is beneficial that that THC is bringing to their life. But, what we're doing is we're you know, bringing something to market that will be addressing an unmet need of a patient population that's experiencing a cognitive decline, that's uh, that's that's maybe at a higher risk of falling and hurting themselves or potentially not be able to get behind the wheel and drive because of their age and their, you know, their cognition. And unfortunately, a lot of seniors today are not just taking one or two drugs. You know, the average mm-hmm. senior is taking about three to five different drugs. And that could be a mix of oxycodones and uh, benzos and, and other uh, anxiety medication. You know, just a mix of those cocktail of drugs can't be that great for your cognition, right? And uh, ultimately, if we can provide a safer way of using THC for that population that has uh, those issues and those negative side effects uh, associated with THC, uh, we feel that like we're doing a tremendous, um, tremendous thing for that patient population. Agreed.
0: It's amazing that you're talking about using a THC product to increase cognitive ability. That's that's completely the opposite, you know, of what you think. And so, is that how it's going to be marketed? Uh, is as a cognitive enhancer? I, I, again,
1: it, it's we're not even at the stage of where we're marketing the drug. Uh, right, right. Our goal is to get this approved. So, we're really just focused on the development of the drug. Understood. Uh, and it's going to take us some time to be able to get it to an IND and into people clinical trials. So, that's where Dr. Kaplan is doing all his preclinical research. Okay. But uh, so far, we've shown tremendous uh, results in our preclinical trials in enhancing cognition in mice and alleviating uh, anxiety, which is... Which is tremendous, like you said. It's something that you don't expect to see with T- when you're talking about THC having your cognition. That's why Dr. Kaplan and you know the rest of the team, as myself, are so excited about this drug because, as as you know, there's about 55 million Americans who use who use marijuana in the past year. There's about 36 million Americans who use it monthly, and I think there is 50 percent more marijuana users than there are tobacco smokers. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so this is like really like, it, it's it's accepted. There's a consumer acceptance, but uh, Dr. Kaplan can speak to this, but if you're a practicing physician like Dr. Kaplan is in, in John Hopkins, he can tell you personally himself, he cannot prescribe marijuana to his patients. Having a drug like 1A that could potentially be prescribed to patients that don't really know their dosing, right? When you're smoking weed, you don't really know how much dosing you need treat your to treat what it is you're trying to treat whether it's pain whether it's anxiety and it's also not regulated so you're not exactly sure what you're getting Uh, and for a lot of patients that be an issue because they might be taking other drugs that might interact or you know not interact well with marijuana this will allow their doctors to be more aware of what they're taking and be able to give them a prescription and kind of monitor their you know the symptoms that
2: they're trying to treat so just to follow up on um some of your question and ares's response it is the nature of fda that they will only approve drugs for indications related to diseases we can't say gee this will you know improve people's cognition because that's not a disease and so we are currently looking into the potential role of this drug in helping people for instance one of the great problems is the difficulty with alzheimer's and dementia you know the aging um, baby boomers and the like so getting people perhaps early in the course of cognitive difficulties or uh, what's called mild cognitive impairment currently there are no particularly good treatments for it but in particular there are no treatments that are able to give back some cognitive uh, functioning that was lost and then second, you know, the other problem, uh, as Arez mentioned, the reason why we can't prescribe marijuana at Hopkins is because no one can prescribe marijuana because it's still, according to the FDA, a Schedule One drug, which is, you know, catching up with these two disparate uh, sort of moving trends. So, you know, this would give the opportunity for physicians to be able to actually prescribe a drug uh, and and move in that direction. So I just wanted to... So- from you're saying that
0: this would not be considered a schedule one
2: correct you know it its structure is different from uh thc and it's what's called the new chemical entity it doesn't exist in nature it never existed and because it doesn't go through an intermediate which is a controlled substance the dea has evaluated it and determined that it is not a controlled substance based on their assessment now you know, we still have to go through the whole development process, but as of now, and you know, foreseeably uh, in the future, it is not a, a controlled substance. It's not not I good. Just, maybe you could
0: elaborate. I'm I've some questions on that. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit more because so on the my day to day with being in the hemp and delta space, that's something that we're you know a lot of companies are battling right now with the DEA and them trying to constantly change their opinion on the and redefine the hemp farm bill and come against what they call synthetic cannabinoids you know and yeah. now you guys are able to make a synthetic cannabinoid out of thc and get dea approval how how is that like is it not from cannabis is it from hemp or is it not from either are you making the molecule like how does that how does that yeah, work
2: so it's being synthesized it's uh, all you know synthesized in a lab not such an easy job to do by the way because it doesn't exist so you got to start from scratch but because it doesn't have the same structure it therefore isn't put into the same category now there are examples of drugs that don't have the same structure for instance opiate like drugs that weren't scheduled like tramadol, that did eventually get put back onto a low schedule. Uh, it's not, you know, a high schedule, but you still need. It, it is, you know, I think, it's schedule four or five for tramadol. Um, so, you know, sometimes these things change when long-term use uh, and experience change. But as of now, we don't have any data to suggest that it is uh, going to be a difficult sell for the DEA because we don't have at this point um any indications that it's addicting or or has those side effects so you know we will not know until we get into people ultimately as of now it looks pretty good and it's just it's just the nature of the process you know, uh, you look at CBD. CBD, you know, the Farm Act was taken off scheduling. So, you know, times do change, and we'll just have to see how it works. But because you know, if we can demonstrate that this doesn't have the negative side effects, such as cognitive impairment or you know um, psychosis at high doses and the like, our hope is that we will be able to continue to maintain it. Certainly not on. Un- you know, the the schedules that require intensive uh, prescriptions and the like. So it's
0: awesome. Uh, what type of uh, toxicology studies and stuff are you guys doing? You know, that's something that I think that this space needs on a whole. And uh, that's one thing that I believe that if we could get some more studies done, would maybe help with uh, descheduling, legalization, or even FDA approval if we just had more toxicology reports on cannabinoids in a whole, on cannabis, on hemp, on the different. Uh, singular cannabinoid. So, what are you guys doing, and, and how are those tests coming out? If you if you can share,
2: yeah, I mean, we will have to kill you after the interview. I uh, hope <laughs> you know, we tell you everything. <laughs> no, it's um. So, it, in fact, the FDA has very prescribed specific kinds of tests that you have to do, ranging from showing that there's no what's called genotoxicity. It's not going to lead to genetic mutations. Uh, it's not going to have problems for people reproducing, then it doesn't have, uh, problems with the heart or the kidneys or the liver and those kinds of things. And, uh, without inspiring uh, people to call in with great distress, uh, the FDA also requires some animal studies, um, before getting into humans. So, and that includes testing maximal tolerated doses, um, not to make them sick, but just to find out where the, uh, where the levels are that, you know, really knock them out or or cause them to be very sedated before we get into humans. So it's, it's you know, it's an interesting point you bring up, Bryce. I I don't know that, I, I mean, you know, it just hadn't occurred to me to have, you know, it's expensive. Maybe that's... What yes. The, yes. Yeah. But it is a very interesting idea if someone were just to take the drug and, you know, a drug or a synthetic uh, analog as we're doing and take it through toxicology studies, that's very interesting as to what the FDA would do with that data. But, but anyway, it's, it's, you know, we're not, we're not reinventing the wheel. This is a, this is a, you know, the FDA says, these are the tests you need to do. We uh, enlist the help of a company that has already demonstrated their ability to do these kinds of tests in a way that the FDA, you know, recognizes is of the highest caliber and the like. And so it, uh, that's where things are. As Arez said, we're just getting it synthesized in large enough quantities to be able to get all of the tests done, but the tests are underway and we're, uh, awesome. we're excited. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very familiar. I know that toxicology tests and
0: studies are very time, one time consuming and then very expensive. I had a guest on the show uh, about a month or so ago, Arvita Labs, JJ and Dylan Combs, uh, JJ over there, he's their head chemist. He's uh, comes from the pharmaceutical side of things. He's a, used to be a pharmacist. When they started doing different reactions with uh, cannabinoids, one in particular, HHC hexahydrocannabinol, they did a toxicology report on that, uh, and they compared it to. Uh, they did heart, lung, and renal functions. Yeah, and they compared it to a over-the-counter widely used uh, allergy medication, and those studies showed that it was not even close to the toxicity of the, uh, over the counter medication, like not at all. Didn't even, didn't even hit the charts, you know, and, and that product comes with an FDA approval. And so they did actually share that with FDA and, and you were like, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the FDA thought about. They didn't think very good of that. They, they didn't recognize it at all. And, and didn't really, uh, didn't engage in conversation with them afterwards. But, um, on that particular subject. Now they are still engaging with the FDA on, on some other things and trying to get approval with their lab and stuff. But it's interesting. I think we just need more of it. I think we just need more people trying to to prove the point of that this is a safe product, you know, especially with all the products that we take in our day-to-day lives that have, if we really looked at the side effects, uh, probably some na- very negative side effects. I mean, it's crazy. You, you, always, you see a new drug every day put on the TV and then and there's always a the side effect of possible death. You know, it's like, okay, right. yeah, that's what I want to take, you know. So it it, nature gives us so many things that if we just use them correctly or maybe engineer them, you know, I think that's, that's an important part. And I hate the way that synthetics, especially when it's came into cannabinoids and it has been because of the hemp Delta eight craze, but synthetics have gotten a bad name, but it's like, people forget that we use synthetic products in our day-to-day life all the time. We consume them all the time. And it's not even a question. You don't even think twice about it. You grab the drink out of the fridge and you start chugging, but if that same thought process could be converted over to cannabis and, and natural medicines and realize that, yeah, these components don't always, aren't always abundantly found in the plant. And so, yes, they're there in minor uh, quantities. So we have to synthesize them to be able to use them. But when they're, you know, when it's done properly, it's clean, it's safe and has amazing benefits. So,
2: yeah, I I completely agree. And um, I think your level of discussion of this is you know, impressive. I've not heard anybody sort of uh, appreciate both sides, I think, of the coin. But the other side of the coin is that not only showing the toxicity, but having the regulation that you know what you're getting. Now, don't get me wrong, there's something really nice about being able to go to a dispensary and have someone take you through it and take the time. I mean, I wish clinicians did the same thing with patients, took the time, took them through the medicines. but, But you know, the problem is that when people have looked at, for instance, the THC content of the products <laughs> that are available, only, you know, one in five had the dose that they, that yep. what was interesting is, you know, you might say, well, everybody was, you know, lower dose. So that's not true. Actually, uh, about a third of them had increased uh, THC for what they said. So, you know, it's hard. It's a movable feast right now that you can't be sure not, you know, if you go to the same place. And there's some consistency there, but I just think for, you know, not only the individual susceptibility, some people get paranoid, some people don't, but, uh, also just to have consistency in what you're getting. I think the toxicology is important, but also the consistency. And it's again, hard to get that if, you know, just the nature of the beast, if you're not regulated people, just, um, it's more expensive to, you know, to make sure it's, uh, the same thing
0: every time. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm definitely for. I'm for regulation as a whole across the board. There's, you know, there's some finer points to that of of how we need to regulate it because if it's regulated one way, it'll have a complete opposite effect than all of us are trying to have. And if it's regulated the other way, then it could be very beneficial and allow for uh, the industry to continue to grow and for products to continue to become better. And, but we do need that regulatory testing. I mean, I know in many different states. I know like Colorado is one, for example, there's a, an allowance of 16% plus or minus on your uh, your final potency reports. So like you said, yeah, it might be lower, it might be higher and you have no idea and for, you know, first time user if they're coming in and, and they're wanting to get something that's low-dosed because they don't want to have the paranoia and all of a sudden they get something that's way higher than what it says and that sends them into a paranoia and they're freaking out and then you get those bad reports. That's when you get the bad reviews of cannabis. People calling in, people going to the emergency room. That same thing has happened now in the in the hemp industry. you know. Thankfully, mo- a lot of people don't realize is that the hemp side of things actually is more heavily regulated as far as our testing requirements and the lab certifications and stuff than actual medicinal and recreational cannabis are, which is crazy to think about. But we just need to regulate it as a whole. People People need to know what they're getting, feel confident in what they're taking and safe in what they're taking, and that way they can continue to use it without those, without those bad experiences and I want to ask you, Dr. Uh, Doctor Kaplan, what got you into this? You said you work at John Hopkins and stuff. Maybe give us a little bit of a, just a brief background on you and, and then what brought you into this side in this space.
2: So thanks for the interest. Uh, it's always uh, uh, nice to talk about yourself, although it wasn't exactly what I was coming in thinking we were going to discuss. But uh, essentially, I've been working in academia for 20 years, you know, thought I, you know, stay there until they carried me out in a box at some point one day. But um, but by the same token, it's been a bit frustrating. Uh, we've gotten millions of publications out there on shelves, but translating them into actual things going on in the clinic and, and the like has been difficult. So, I mean, I'll give you my bias, which is that um, academia is where you go for new ideas. Um, industry is where you go to take those ideas and turn them into drugs academia isn't so good at coming up with new ideas on their own, but ac- industry isn't, but academia is lousy at understanding the toxicology and how to fundraise to get these things. So um, being able to sort of sit in a place and work with people like Arez to have a discussion about what the best applications are of these drugs and to move things forward, that's what made me interested. What ultimately persuaded me was that It just got to the point that every patient I saw, you know, had some kind of pain, had cognitive impairment, had anxiety. And I kept thinking, boy, I just wish this drug was here. I wish I could, Mm. you know, even for compassionate use, which we can't do until we have safety studies. But there are just so many people for whom this would be a game changer. So that's uh, it just was getting too frustrating to keep seeing patients and keep wanting things to move faster, to be able to have better treatments. I mean, we don't have anything that treats cognitive impairment in MS. There's just nothing that, uh, no medications that can improve it. I mean, you can give them compensatory strategies, put a paste it on the mirror when you go to sleep to remind you during the day, but nothing that'll kind of boost it. So, so that's that's what led me to cross over. Mm-hmm. I, I I am curious, Grace, Just given your expertise. I'd be curious to know um, where you would think a drug like ours that's regulated uh, enhances cognition, you know, doesn't appear to cause things like psychosis, as best you can tell in animal models, uh, like paranoia and the like. Where would you think it would fit into the, you know, uh, system uh, that, you know, as Arez had mentioned, is so widespread now? 39 states, I think, have some kind of uh, legal cannabis use. So where would you think it would fit in? I would like to see it fit in at the top
0: level to where you don't have to be in a cannabis state to access it. You know, that's, that's my goal in this as a whole, as a, an advocate for cannabis, as someone that's trying to constantly remove the stigmatism and to push efforts forward in any effort that I can, I want access everywhere. You know, something like this is, is what people need. How many times, like I said earlier, how many times you see a medication that has its benefits are only one or two points and its list of side effects are a hundred or more long. We need more access to medications, more drugs that don't have all those negative side effects that actually work harmoniously with your body to improve the functions that you're trying to target and nothing else. And so if you can create something that targets those needs without interfering with other functions of the body, then why limit it? Why, why only make it accessible to certain people? That, that type of product should be accessible to all I feel that this type of medicine and natural medicine, I feel that there's two parts of it. I love the medical side and I think that we should definitely put more efforts into diving into that. I think more money should be spent into discovering the abilities of this plant, uh, the different cannabinoids and the compounds and not only what they do on their own, but what do they do when they work together and in different percentages uh, uh, and levels when they're added together and how do they interact with the terpenes on a natural scale and stuff as well because those are an important part of the plan as well. I want people to, though, also be able to freely access that. I love dispensaries. I love people to be able to go in and just get what they want. You know, the the whole thing of the nose nose when you shop, you don't even need to really look at a label, just smell it and your body will tell you what you need. And you'll yeah. probably have a really good experience with that product afterwards. I love what you guys are doing. That's why <clears throat> when it came across, I, I definitely wanted to have you on. And I'm always interested to see new companies, people pushing the frontier and bringing cannabis into the pharmaceutical space because that's every every drug that we can create out of cannabis that does more than pharmaceuticals are currently doing or or takes the place of a pharmaceutical or multiple pharmaceuticals is a huge win for us. I
2: don't know Rez. Uh Bryce sounds like you know. Know. Uh, Bryce is hired. He's tired. <laughs> it sounds pretty amazing. I love his, you know, the way he thinks about the whole industry and and where uh these pieces fit. So uh, Absolutely. You
1: know, we we share that vision with you, Bryce, and that's exactly what we're doing why we're, and what we're doing with, exactly for that reason. And, you know, we didn't even touch about the federal employees that are not allowed to use cannabis, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, yep. They're not going to, hopefully won't have that issue with our drug. And um, just like you said, just giving access to doctors to be able to treat their patients and not have to worry about not being able to prescribe marijuana to them is tremendous and you know with all you know i heard in new york there was about 1400 dispensaries that opened up unlicensed mm-hmm. uh you, you heard about that one? So oh,
0: yeah the, i was actually there i saw it in per i saw it i could not believe what i saw in new york i was there at the end of the year it was it was quite insane yeah, like there was people in the book there was people in chinatown uh you know like you have the street sellers selling like the the fake louis and shoes and all that stuff there was tables set up of cannabis like they had totes full of jars of cannabis loose flour pre rolls concentrates edible everything everywhere at the at the subway stations just like everywhere and then yeah there was little bodegas just popped up all in license there was food trucks at night selling cannabis like it was insane I didn't know where I was at I was like this is going on in New York
1: <laughs> yeah it's 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 amazing I mean the culture the acceptance it's it's there so we're right there with you we believe just having another option you know for someone that uh, might want to get into the uh THC treatments and like you said might not might have a bad experience the first time going to a dispensary so we can we can actually i think work along side by side with with recreational and medical marijuana it doesn't have to be or right so uh, every person is different and everything works differently for for an individual so some patients might need the prescription route some patients might be okay with going to the, the dispensary route so it it all works hand in hand but but it's just incredible how like you said nature gave us you know the THC and it gave us the CBD and it gave us all these cannabinoids and if we can find a way to make them more accessible more useful more beneficial for people why not you know why not do why not just enhance what nature already uh put on this earth for us
0: I agree I our time is coming and going quickly. I know that we could sit here and talk even more. It's how it always seems. It's like the conversation start expanding. So maybe we'll, I'll actually, I'll go ahead and ask. I would love to have you guys on again, maybe in a few months when you guys have reached another point, maybe after you've gone through some more trials and you're on to the next phase, I would, I would love to get an update and see where you guys are at. I love to follow up with stuff like this and, and just even personally, you know, we'll exchange some information, but thank you for what you guys are doing. Thank you for just pushing the boundaries. And I hope you're not done yet either. I hope that this is just the start. And that you have other things in the works. I'm sure I'm looking at Dr. Kaplan, he's shaking his head. I already knew when, when he started talking, like he's like me. He's got several other things and the ideas in the works. And this is just the one that he's putting the most time in. So I can't wait to see what uh Dr. Kaplan and you are. res and, and thank you. We didn't even get into it, but just your your philanthrop efforts that you have done in this community and the different startups that you've had. And like I said, there's so much more we could talk about. We will schedule another another episode so we can get it on and, and talk some more. But Thank you for what you guys are doing in this community and, and keep pushing. You have our support. And if anything that you would ever need, uh, feel free to reach out. I love any way that I can help, uh, just be more than happy to. Awesome. Thank you, Bryce. That's Thank very, you, bro. Very, very really appreciate your time.